You're listening to the Practically Pastoring Podcast, where we want to help pastors and church leaders share ideas, become better shepherds and leaders, and have a good time with friends. Welcome back to Practically Pastoring. My name is Frank, and I am glad that you are here. I'm here with my friends from all across this beautiful country. Up in Baltimore, Maryland, we got Jeffrey Simpson. Good evening. Down in Sumter, South Carolina, my favorite Calvinist, Delmar Pete. Good morning. Uh, down in um, uh, Florida, uh, fully recovered, looks great, healthy, skin looks good, Andrew Larson. Good afternoon. Gleaming. And uh, the healthiest looking man in our podcast, we got Timothy Miller. Good morning, good <laughs> afternoon. And good night. <laughs> Guest, all hey, that. are we going to talk about Justin Tucker to start this off? Because it's a big 60, leg, sixty-six yards, baby. <laughs> my Delmar, favorite, you're, my, Delmar, you're my included favorite in this fantasy now. football name of all time was Yippie Kaye Justin Tucker, and I just didn't think that I could have that name in my church fantasy football league. But it makes me laugh so hard still. What a way to end a game, though. Uh, speak, hold on, before you talk about this and ending of the game, speaking of fa- funny fantasy football names, my favorite name when I played fantasy football for a couple of years, there was a guy, a player for uh, the Kansas City Chiefs called Dwayne Bow, and I called my team somewhere over Dwayne Bow, and <laughs> it, it was my, I just played fantasy <laughs> football just to have that name <laughs> somewhere over Dwayne Bow. That's my favorite thing ever, so. Oh man. Okay. My my current team name is uh Playmakers Miracle Workers. I'm pretty nice. proud of that one as well. Nice, nice. Besides sports, besides uh amazing um kicks and all this stuff, uh how's everyone's week gone? How was the weekend for you guys? My Sunday was the uh kind of a perfect storm of all the things you don't want to happen. Uh got there our our kids ministry director rushed in. Tim, I've got COVID-like symptoms. I can't be here. I got to go. I'll, I'll get some things set up right now. And as she was getting things set up, we had new families show up a half hour early, ready to check in kids. And we didn't have kids ministry station set up. The teachers were not in place. We ended up having almost double-digit new families on a Sunday when um, we were in scramble mode. So it was uh, one of those Sundays for us. Well, we are now in a high school, which is a lot better. And uh, for the first time... The facility looks nice, man. I'm not going to lie. The facility we have, <laughs> it rivals the church we're about to build. <laughs> but uh, but we're, we're really excited. We did four. We had four baptisms this week, which is pretty awesome. Nice. And uh, we actually, for the first time, for the last two weeks, have had pre-COVID like, numbers back. Um, which is really awesome. And it's, it's with people like one third of them are new. So, uh, there's, there's some energy and excitement there. And, uh, on the whole, man, it was actually a pretty good week. I got to preach too. So, which meant I got my hair cut just like Frank, cause us campus pastors, we gotta look sharp for those, you know, couple times we preach every couple of months or whatnot. So, um, my ears are lowered and my church is good. So, yeah. Got to make sure them clips that you share look great. Yeah, well, you know, we don't have many hairs to cut, so we need to respect the ones we got. <laughs> yeah, man, I uh, I preached too. Uh, it was uh, it was a good time. I do. I, I was telling the, the guys before the show. I got my um, every four week haircut because uh, I, I I get my haircut every time I right before I preach. Now sometimes um, my senior pastor who schedules the preaching. He likes to like extend the dates like six weeks to eight weeks, and then my hair gets a little messy, and so I start wearing a hat every every day. Uh, but uh, but yeah, freshly cut. It was good. It was good. I I um, I I, uh, I preached on forgiveness, and uh, and I I did something I don't usually do. I ask people who um, after the sermon on forgiveness, I ask people who feel like they need to forgive someone to stand up, and I wanted to pray over them. Wow. And I was so nervous that no one was going to stand up. And like every single time as I'm like leading up to that, like my heart's racing that like no one's going to stand up. And the folks stood up. So that was fun. But hey, actually, let me tell you something bad that happened in the service. So do, when you guys preach, do you have um, – do you do you guys – first let me ask this. Does your worship team use confidence monitors? No? Y- yes. They, mem- they we mem- do. 
We do not. Okay, we, okay. we have a confidence monitor. Yeah, a right confidence and Tim, so you're saying you guys, you, your band is expected to memorize, or do they have like music stands? Uh, black music stands cool. are what we go with right now. So, so with so when you get those of you who have confidence monitors, when you preach, do you have a countdown clock or a clock of some sort counting up, to, to showing you how long you've been preaching for? Yes. No. Yeah. Yes. No. I okay. just got the same keynote that is on the screens that I can see. Sure, sure. We actually so we, have a we have a big like uh, I I bought it on Amazon. It's like a very big bright red le, like red digit digital clock in the back. Uh, and then I I sometimes will I have an app on my phone that will be a countdown, and I'll just use that on the on the on the podium. So we use. Um the confidence monitors and um if you if you this is like nerdy stuff but in pro presenter there's like yeah. a way to have a different kind of output on the confidence planning monitor center will do that too yeah and then uh so one thing that's set is is when the preacher is up there's an elapsed time clock so you can see how long you've been preaching for and um something happened where they turned that clock on like 10 minutes before i started preaching so I'm like 15 in my 15 minutes of my sermon, <laughs> and it looks like I've preached for it said 45 minutes. And I Man. thought to myself, Ooh. oh I I have a video. I think I might make a TikTok of it. Where on the video, you see me looking in the back, and I'm wondering why there's people standing. Then I look at the confidence monitor and it says 45 minutes. And I look at my watch and I'm trying to figure out what time it is. And the thing is, I looked at the time and I thought to myself, what is that gonna tell me? Like I don't know what time. Is what is that going to tell me? I don't know. So I'm like panicking, and I'm like, I got, I got to speed up. And I found out that they set up the clock wrong. So, see, I, I look at so my they, iPad. I, I look at what time it is on my iPad every week when I start preaching. Yeah, just so I know. So Frank, your handlers in the green room don't tell you what time it is before you walk out. <laughs> you know, they, they they're going to get fired this week because they no didn't talk to me. No one is allowed to talk to him or look him in the eye. Before he no, don't look at him. You can't I, I, even look at him when you hand him a sweat towel. You just got to look away. Because yep, yep. he has the, to the, drink they, his 32 degrees exactly water by I was himself. Say, <laughs> my, my Voss water, they hand it to me oh, and I drink it. And that's Voss. all. That, yeah. Um, anything else happened this weekend for you guys? Everything else? What's uh, my Sunday was it was good. We had a um, outdoor movie night on Friday night and we had a family what? come directly from that. What movie? Uh, we watched that Netflix movie, Vivo. Oh yeah, so, pretty fun kids movie, and we did it outdoors. We have like a blow up screen, and uh, you know we were talking last week on I think it was last week or the week before on uh, weird questions that people have asked us. So the lady that came on Sunday, uh, she showed up and she had a daughter my daughter's age. So they hit it off, which is a great connection. And then on Sunday she came, and when it came time for communion, she came up to me and was like, "Hey, I have like a Jewish background, but I you know that was my family." So what's this communion thing all about? Can you explain it to me so I can take it? And it was just like panic mode. And so I, I pretty much, I stuttered my way a little bit, but I kind of recovered by just inviting her to, why don't you, you know, stay in the room with us and watch what happens for a few weeks. And then let's, you know, continue to talk about what this thing is that we're doing and what it means for you. And so that was kind of fun. It's really refreshing when you have those questions asked of you by somebody who has like no context and they don't speak like churchies and you really have to actually know what you're saying to them and kind of really think about it. So that was really fun. And there, and there's no jadedness. So you don't feel like you have to be defensive about it. Right. You know what I'm yeah. saying? I mean, I like I feel like every time someone asks me up here in the Midwest, because it's so Catholic and Lutheran, when people yeah. ask me about baptism, I, my first position is like I got to defend baptism through immersion as an adult because everybody here wants to sprinkle a baby. And uh, it's uh, it's it's interesting. So yeah. Well, hey, here's a question: Do all do all of y'all do immersion at y'all's churches? Yeah, like um, we are all baptistic in that matter. Hey, probably, we, yeah. we have a um, we we do we do yes and hey and oh. as uh, in, in our denomination we are uh, to offer whatever the family prefers with a th- correct theological understanding of both. Okay. Yeah, we do immersion, but the last baptism I did, the guy was so scared to get under the water that he almost wouldn't get baptized. And then me and the elders kind of huddled, and uh, he ha- he's on the autistic spectrum a little bit. So uh, we huddled and were able to—I mean, he professed faith. He, I mean, it was all very genuine. He was just terrified of water. So we ended up getting a pitcher from the kitchen, and, like, he got in the baptismal tank 
and I poured it over his head and, you know, and do what you got to do. Baptism, baptism made for man, not man for baptism. I've so. got a, uh, a lady, That's what I say. I've got a lady at our church and she, we're supposed to be baptizing her, I think in like two weeks. And I don't, I really don't think she's going to be able to get down into the baptismal. Yeah. So I was like, well, how, how, you know, we're going to do the sprinkling or the pouring, I guess is what you, is it, you know, we have not, yeah. I've not performed one of those. So if you have any like good tips you know, like a Baptist, I'm thinking, well, we got to get her as close as immersed as so I didn't have five gallon bucket or something. But uh, like, I don't know that the proper protocol, do you just take like a nice looking? We just did cup? literally like we have a nice looking glass pitcher. Gotcha. And okay. I mean, you don't want to, you you know, you want to honor the moment. It's a big deal in their yeah. life. And it's I, a big, the most important part for me is their clean public. mason jar works the same way. It does. Yeah. South yeah, I think baby. the most important thing is their public profession of faith. That's I mean, right. That's really what the whole thing's about. So that's awesome. Hey, speaking, I don't know how I'm going to segue from baptisms to, to the conference, but hey, there's a big lake at <laughs> Tim's church. Speaking of water, speaking speaking of water, there's a big lake at Tim's church, and uh, someone asked this question in the Facebook group about uh, whether or not uh, there will be fishing. Um, available and we talked about this actually i think we talked about this offline about how uh you have a person in your church who's going to stock your lake with bass right it's getting stocked uh i believe in a week or two that's exciting and then uh ready to rock were you being were you being for real about what you said about how you asked them about shark shark fishing yeah so we're doing a shark hunt on friday night so I'm going to be chatting with him about setting us up with a shark hunt yes. for the practically pastoring conference. So it'll be like a, a late, late night option. If you don't feel like going to bed early, we could go out nine or 10 o'clock and do two or three hours. They do the it with beach. a light, right? That's awesome. Aren't we doing like um, Tuesday afternoon sponge dogs fishing for souls? Of course. <laughs> yeah, we have to. You have to turn in your you have to turn in your card to the your evangelism card, yeah, just to tell him how many souls you won that day. Yeah, it's pretty conference. I'm it's pretty sure really good. I'm pretty sure that was like an elective at our evangelism class at Trinity. That gives me so much anxiety. I'll yeah. bring I'll bring my so evangelism much. explosion copy. With did me. did either of you <laughs> evangelism explosion? <laughs> did any of you guys ever do? Um, I, my youth pastor made us do this when I was in middle, when I was in middle school. We used to go to the mall, like University Mall or something. Yeah, and you had a clipboard and you had to pretend you were doing a survey, and then you would share the oh. gospel. Oh my god, <laughs> saying it, it out loud makes me cringe so hard. Because I, I, I'm I did doing a survey. I'm doing a survey. School. Would you like to participate? Yes, I would. Uh, here's a survey question: If you were to die right now, where would you go? <laughs> I, I worked for a company called Cunningham Field Research Incorporated. And I was that teenager in the mall with a clipboard going up to strangers, asking them about their laundry detergent and giving them $5 to watch a movie trailer. That was yeah. me for yeah. like a year and a half in high school. I met Hulk Hogan once. He took my clipboard oh, yeah, brother. out of my hand. I said, could you help me out with the survey today, sir? And he said, yeah, no problem. He took my clipboard and signed it and handed it back to me. No, he didn't. <laughs> hey, okay, okay. So this but might – He doesn't this need might... laundry detergent. He shreds his shirts. This might entice some people. Um, so like not, not necessarily Tarpon Springs, but like the Tampa Bay area is the home for many professional wrestlers. Yeah. And I, I, I don't know if Hulk Hogan's restaurant got closed down, but Hulk Hogan's restaurant was right there on the, like the causeway or something. Oh, it's uh, still there, brother. It's still there. It's still there. Brother. Uh, I know. So can we put on our promotion? You might interact with a former WWE star. Hey, we need to get Hulk Hogan on the shark hunt to wrestle a shark. So the Tampa Bay Times, our, our newspaper of record here, had a poll last week that was which Tampa Bay area wrestler is the biggest uh, you know, icon, John Cena, uh, Batista, or Hogan? Like who is the biggest Hogan. Uh, pop culture icon of the three most famous Tampa wrestlers? Because You got you to go Hogan. They're all here. Yeah. Uh, Cena is yeah. cool, but yeah, Hogan is a legend. I'm pretty sure, I'm pretty sure Dave Batista is also in Tampa. Um, I've seen the big show at a Best Buy once. Um, there's, I mean, it's pretty crazy. You're, you're not little, Frank. How did he make you feel? Oh, he's massive. He's like seven feet tall. He, I mean, I definitely felt sh short. It so was, you it was, feel I mean, kind of like I feel when I stand by you. 
<laughs> sure, sure. <laughs> I guess so. Hey, let's get back on track with the conference, Practically Password Conference. If you are listening to this and it's before October 1st, you still have a chance to get the ticket at the lowest price at $79. Yeah, we got our first West Coaster. We got our first Texan company. We have we have folks coming from, from not just the Southeast. We only have one Floridian that's signed up so far. And then we have um, Midwesterners. It's, it's, I'm really, really excited about the turnout. And so if you are listening to this, you have until October, uh, till midnight at the end of this month, right before October 1st, to sign up to get the lowest price. And the price goes up October 1st this Friday. Basically, so, that, that Green Day song is about conference pricing. I thought that was a lot funnier than you guys. Yeah, wake September me up when September ends. ends. I, guys, I'm, I thought it was really funny nice. in my head. I'll go back to muting my mic and watching baseball. Okay, thank you. <laughs> Practicallypastoringconference.com, February 21st to the 23rd. You're not going to want to miss it. They'll be fishing, maybe shark fishing, maybe professional wrestlers. You never know because it's 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 Florida, so you literally never know what's going to happen from day to day. But we're going to be there. It's going to be a good time. Uh, you're not going to want to miss it. Hey, we're going to take a quick break. When we come back, we're going to dive into a clergy cliff note. Hey, we are back, and we are looking at an article over at the Gospel Coalition. Uh, the title of this article is Five Things That Frustrate Gen C Christians. You know, like, it's there always has to be a uh, article about the next generation and about how bad the current generation is. Dude, Ten years ago, <laughs> these articles were being written about us. Yeah, for real, for real. The so, self-centered millennial. <laughs> always wanting their cappuccinos or something. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so, uh, so it's on the gospel coalition. I, I, I looked up who the author is, this Jacob guy. He's, I think he's a student over at, uh, Wheaton college. And so I, he may very well be a Gen Zer. I guess Gen Z is up to 25 right now. So he, this is what he says, um, when it comes to the five things that are really frustrating Gen Z Christians, when partisan politics reshape faith, when apologetics outweighs relationships, when Christians don't live what they believe, when Christians are known more for judgment than love, and then when Christians aren't serious thinkers. So um, we were all youth pastors, and I think for the most part, um, the demographic that we were pastoring were Gen Zers. If not, they were very, very, they were early Gen Zers. That, that would be right? Yeah, early Gen Zers. Um, and, uh, and I think none of us have been a youth pastor in the past, two years now. So maybe we've kind of, we're not, we're not being youth pastors and probably the most interesting time right now with the pandemic, with politics, with all the stuff that's going on. But we all as pastors have Gen Zers in our congregations. So when you see this, I want to hear, what are your thoughts? How do you, what do you feel? Do you feel like he's right? Do you feel like he's wrong? One thing that stands out that I have to reread a couple of times is that sentence about when apologetics outweighs relationships. I kind of want to reread that a couple of times to understand exactly what he's saying. But I want to hear your thoughts. What do you think of this article? I'm not a Gen Zer, but all those things frustrate me. I like they're those are all frustrating things. Yeah, uh, number three, where he says when Christians don't live what they believe. If you actually read in there, he gets into a, a specific issue, which is really interesting because. Andrew and I have had this conversation before. Uh, it's in that second paragraph under under the yeah. third point. He says, biblical sexual ethics are cited to oppose same-sex marriage, but ignored on other matters like divorce or cohabitation before marriage. And it's just this classic thing that we love to do as Christians. We, we pick out that sin that, that we hate the most, and we harp on that one, and, and we kind of just let the other ones lay by the wayside. But Andrew, you've actually done a really good job and and helping me frame this conversation with so many people. But I, I, I really do. I, I agree with Jacob on this. It's such a weird thing. Like, Hey, we want to celebrate that teen mom and throw her a baby shower as a church. Yet the teen that comes out and says that they're, you know, non-binary, we're going to shun that teen. And it's, it's, it's just, it's frustrating. Like I said about the, the article, it is frustrating, not just for Gen Zers. 
Yeah, I look at these things and they all have in common that I think they're all super enhanced with the access they have on social media now. Like all of this stuff is so much more prevalent. Um, like I look at what the one where it's talking about, they don't like partisan stuff. And I'm like, that really goes hand in hand a lot with the whole we're no more for judgment than love. Like a lot of these things, they're connected. And like when you when you get into the algorithm, if you get sucked into one, which a lot of them do, they're only going to sometimes see this version of Christianity. You, you, know, you see what I'm saying? And I do think that shapes and molds it a lot. And we have to be careful because what can happen is these students will run to the other end of the spectrum, which is also unhealthy. You know, so I, I do think we have a challenge here. And I think that like, I don't think this definitely means we don't shouldn't avoid talking about these things. I just think we should talk more directly about them than in them. Does that make sense? Like sometimes well, that, a lot of our, that's message, the whole point of, yeah. that's the whole point of relationships over apologetics. Mm, yes. You know, would, would you rather lose an argument or lose a person? Mm. And apologetics teaches us how to win arguments, not how to win people. It's kind of like when and you get a fight with your wife, is, you don't win. Exactly. <laughs> and apologetics is its very important. However, our apologetics should teach us how to be gracious and loving and not just be right. And, and like even the stuff that's attractional millennials, like there's a few um, apologetical kind of things um, that I listen to. But even to me, they leave me with like a tart taste in my mouth. I'm like, dude, you sound kind of like you're talking down to people while you're trying to educate them. And, and I mean, yeah. I don't need to name them because they're already probably coming to a lot of people's minds. And and when I'm listening to some of them, I'm like, well, I, I've listened to other stuff this guy puts out. I don't think he's like that. But the tone is so important, especially with Gen Z. They pick up on that stuff. I mean, we all do, but they, they really tuned into our tone. And I think that that really is reflecting in these things they say that they really can't stand about Christians. I think for me... Uh... The number point number five is one that I kind of see in my interactions with folks, like the the way we've changed. In my context, it's particularly the it seems like the boomers um, and, and somewhat the millennials that are my age uh, have like changed our relationship with truth uh, when it comes to like what he said, rejecting expert analysis and all that. But what's interesting is I see that seeping over, and I see it happening in Gen Z but also just kind of generically in my congregation as well into like the way they think about the Bible. Uh, so if you say, well, you know, here's why this theology works or have you dug deeper into this, you get similar responses of like, well, I mean, that's nice. That's, that's nice that that's that scholar's interpretation, but I really just think it's this. And you're like, well, that's not how it works. You're not qualified to like disagree with this person who has, expertise and is showing you why this language works the way it does. So that's something that's like an interesting uh, for in this article for him to say that it frustrates Gen Z when Christians aren't serious thinkers. I think that Gen Z has sort of drunk from that Kool-Aid as well when it comes to certain things in the Bible where they're kind of like unwilling to dig a little deeper and go to the experts when it comes to, you know, original languages and historical context and all that. So that was kind of the way this article struck me, I guess. Yeah. There's a meme. There's a meme I've been seeing. Um, Jeff, what you just said is so true. If you follow like Christian TikTok, um, but like uh, one thing I've been seeing is like, there's a meme that says uh, it's a joke. It's like, uh, why aren't you listening to the medical experts? They know what they're talking about in regards to the vaccine. And then the second meme is, I know what this Hebrew scholar says, but what I actually think, you know, and it's like, yeah. it's that same logic. It's like, it's, it's kind of misapplied or whatever, but man, I think one thing that I, so when I, when I, I feel like TikTok, Christian TikTok specifically, and this is not to bash Gen Z because honestly, the most of the people who are making this content aren't Gen Zers. It's like jaded millennials or like, you know, like I think of, I think of like, um, um, is it Abraham Piper, yeah, John Piper's yeah. son, yeah. Who, who like kind of walked away? He's 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 maybe Gen X, if anything. But he there, there's this like there's this posture in kind of like, and I don't want to say this in political terms, but I, the only other way to say this is like liberal Christianity, yeah. where they well the where they will take progressive minority, might be the, the word maybe progressive use. is a better word, yeah, yeah, yeah. progressive, progressive yeah. where they'll take minority views on scholarship. And take it as like wholesale. So like, 
So like this idea, for example, of like homosexuality in the Bible is not really homosexuality. It's pedophilia and stuff like that. It's like, sure, there has been a scholar that says that. But majority of majority of scholarship scholars who've looked at those words think it, it means wholesale homosexuality, right? And like there's stuff like that all throughout the Bible where what we see now, like even this controversy about Genesis one one and all this other stuff, it's like there they there's these minority views from progressive scholars that are like recent in the past fifty years, and people are acting as if conservative Christians have been hiding it and like been like preventing people from seeing the truth. When it's just a minority position. I don't know. That's not my, I don't want to say that to like be like Gen Z, you guys are dumb. I'm just saying that's an interesting perspective where it's like, I get why people crap on Christians for not being critical thinkers. But then when you have this other side that like doesn't want to think critically about true historical Orthodox Christianity, it's kind of inconsistent. We started a series on Genesis. Um, Sunday, you know, two, two days ago. And we had a couple of visitors who I know a little bit and they're, they're more progressive leaning than I am in, in some ways. And when we started to the, to talk about Genesis and in the beginning, I could just kind of tell they had the look on their eyes of, Oh boy, here we go again. And at the beginning of the sermon, I didn't know they were coming, but I had written, you know, a fairly lengthy, at least compared to what I usually do at the beginning of a series, lengthy intro on how, you know, faithful people, smart people disagree on what they think the first couple chapters of Genesis are. So, you know, kind of giving the room for, you know, you don't have to be a a young earth creationist to necessarily be a Christian. But by the time we get to Adam and Eve, Jesus referenced Adam and Eve, Paul referenced Adam and Eve. You can't have, in, you know, you can't claim inerrancy and not claim a literal Adam and Eve kind of thing. But by by giving the the space to breathe and to have a difference of opinion of Genesis one and two. Um, I could, I could like see it on their faces that they were more willing to hear what I had to say about Genesis three. Yeah. Well that you lean into relationship a little bit there, which was, which was helpful because you gave permission, which is important in some relationships. You know, one of the things I see is because when I remember these articles coming out about us and they would say to things, I'm like, yeah, yeah, yeah. But I also realize, like a lot of times the things that we're angry at others about, it's also a projection of some of our own stuff. You know what I'm saying? Like how many times have we counsel people and you're like, I don't like him because he, he does that. And I'm like, lady, you're doing that to him, you know? But when I think about, I mean, I look, look at Gen Z right now. They are without a doubt the most politically motivated generation that I've seen in my lifetime. You know, just from what I see them post online, like when I was 12, I used to not have to have an opinion on who should be the president. You know, bro, I did not know there were two parties until like I was 19. <laughs> I, I, didn't, I didn't care, you know, and then like, I, I never thought about politics. I never thought about politics until my American government class in Bible college made me care about Mitt Romney versus <laughs> Obama. Yeah. So like, yeah, they right. don't they don't want us to be Dude, partisan. How old are you? Mitt Rom the Mitt Romney that was he's old twenty three. You are. <laughs> I was like thirty two when that happened. No, Mitt Romney and Obama. That was like that was like two thousand. That was the yeah, no. Was like, that was the two thousand and twelve election. Okay. Oh eight was oh eight was John McCain. <laughs> so he didn't come was, in until twelve. <laughs> it was probably oh, okay. I remember now. It was the oh eight election that that I started to care because that was the, when I took my class. Two thousand twelve. I watched the Mitt Romney documentary, which, by the way, is really good. You should. Everyone should watch the Romney documentary. Hmm. That's all I gotta say. Okay, go ahead. <laughs> well, yeah. I'm, I, the point I was just making is, I think some of these are like they're very honest things, and I'm I'm with you guys. These things enrage me too, and part of the reason they enrage me is because I see this in me some. You know, and I'm like, this is where I see God needs to grow me and sanctify me. So I think that like, if I'm going to heed this, like I need to let these things run themselves through me, um, like in a real, real meaningful way so I can be authentic in front of them. And even, even when apologetics relate outright relationships, sure, I get that. But like, I also know, um, take it outside of, of religion. Um, the Gen Z people I know are really passionate about what they believe and why they believe it. And if you push on that, they're going to push back. So that's, they have apologetic nature in them as well. So I think it's, it's, how do we redeem those things? You know, like if they hate this, like how do we show that, you know, apologetics are good, redeem that you are a passionate teenager. 
that you know this can be um, useful when it comes to yeah, defending this isn't your an faith. inherently bad thing. Absolutely, yeah. The the other thing that I just had about this article is he's you know he he's a college student who's writing this article and it's a well written article. The points are good, but just like you would not reorient the way that you do church and reorient the way that you do ministry just to appease the 80 year olds at your church. You shouldn't be completely reorienting and redoing and rethinking the way that you do ministry just to reach this one group either. That's the hard, you know, if we were youth pastors, sure. You have this one generational group, this one group of either four or seven years of human life all there, but we need to be pastoring from two to 92 which means you're going to have to sometimes speak the language of the boomer and sometimes speak the language of the millennial. You can't you have to be all things to all people because that's what we're called to be. Yeah, one yeah. thing I picked up on with kind of in that same vein Andrew, he doesn't use he doesn't use the word authentic or authenticity, but I feel like that kind of bridges the gap between Gen Z and definitely millennials because that was big a few years ago. Yeah. It was just wanting not just authentic relationships, but authentic churches. Because when we saw this boom of the mega church movement, then we saw all these smaller churches wanting to be them. And suddenly the church that they were going to didn't feel like their church anymore, and they were trying to be something they're not. So that's kind of been my uh, my rally cry for the last two years at Lakeview is we are not going to try to be something that we aren't. We're, we're going to be who God has called us to be. And we're going to Sometimes um, you might have at Lakeview uh, a member of the worship team talking to the microphone and say, can you please turn my bass guitar up in my monitor? It happened on Sunday. From yep. time to time, th things are going to happen. We're, we're not claiming to be a perfect production-driven church. And, and I think being an authentic church is kind of what Jacob's getting at a little bit here in this article too. I mean, I think he's got some good insight and I think, I think a lot of millennials are getting on board with this too. Um, one thing about the church I serve at is that I really like is our pastor is really big on like research and reading and articles. And he shared with me the other day that the trend, and this was not, no, this was not the other day. This was before COVID, but the trend was already that churches, people were migrating more towards smaller congregations for that reason, like that's why a lot of churches are saying you need to um, have multiple services with less people like our new worship space we're building. It isn't some massive auditorium um, because that's not what is what's there. And another thing that was really surprising, he shared this article and this is cross generational um, that people were preferring longer content sermons now, more long form mm -hmm. sermons. That's an actual reality that we're in. So. Soak that up, boys. I know Tim likes to write thirty thousand dollars, uh, thirty thousand word dissertations for Sunday. So you got free reign, buddy. <laughs> wow, wow, this is this is good. So uh, I'm uh, I'll link this article up in the show notes so you can find the five things that frustrate Gen Z Christians uh, on TGC. Uh, but we're gonna take a quick break, and when we come back, we are going to uh, hear a really really good interview. We'll be right back. So you may or may not know this, but we at the uh, Practically Pastoring uh, group crew here, uh, we have a, a group chat where we talk about our lives and sports and all this good stuff, send memes to each other, videos. But we also talk to each other about what we're going to talk about on the show and kind of share articles. And And one of the articles I shared was an article from Christianity Today about – was it Christianity Today? I think it was Christianity Today about um, – uh, the 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 need for churches to go back to actually using physical Bibles, like to stop encouraging digital Bibles, and and why we should go back to encouraging physical Bibles. And as we we're talking, Andrew mentioned why should we talk about this when we know a literal expert on physical Bibles, and so we called our friend Tim Wildsmith, who is a amazing, amazing dude. You'll hear you'll hear a little bit of his story. He's super smart, but one of the cool things he ha he does is he has a uh, a blog and a YouTube channel where he reviews Bibles. It's called the Bible Review Blog, and he's not just like saying like he's not just picking up Bibles from like you know walmart and be like this is a neat bible like he's 
he he's taught me words. Jeff, what's the word that we were talking about before the show that like I've never heard of? A yap. A yap, which is like the extra part of the cover that protects the pages of the Bible. Like he talks about the stitching. He talks about the floppiness of the Bible. It's I was not prepared for the amount of floppiness that would be in the conversation. (laughs) There was a lot of floppiness. And so Andrew uh, interviewed him. Listen, if you are at all a Bible nerd, like just like the the literal physical books and stuff like that, you're going to love this conversation. You're going to love this content. But even if, if you're a pastor or a preacher, he, there's a, there's a question that Andrew gives uh, to Tim about what Bibles you should purchase for different situations. And that alone is worth a listen to this interview. So listen to this interview with Tim Wildsmith and we'll be right back. Well, ladies and gentlemen, I am Skyping, Zencastering, whatever, video chatting. There we go. I am video chatting tonight with Tim Wildsmith, who is the expert of the hour. <laughs> First time uh, anyone's ever said that about me. See, this is a good this is a good podcast to be on. Yeah. We are talking about Bibles. So the little backstory is in our practically pastoring group chat, people send us different articles or we send each other articles that we should go over for the clergy cliff notes. And Christianity Today had a piece up this past week by a guy named Wesley Hill. He's a professor at Western Seminary, which is an awesome school, by the way. Yeah. And he was talking about the importance of physical Bibles. And we started to discuss in our group chat, physical Bibles, should we, is this a subject worth talking about? And I said, why would the five of us talk about it when we have access to Tim (laughs) Wildsmith, who is our generation's leading expert on what makes a physical Bible awesome? So Tim, why don't you give us a little intro into who you are, talk about the Bible review blog, and then we'll get into this article a little bit. Yeah, so I am a uh, a pastor, minister, uh, used to be a worship leader, and about a year and a half ago, I started this thing called Bible Review Blog. I was finishing up seminary, and my family wanted to buy me a Bible as a graduation gift, and so I started looking and online and trying to find like a really nice Bible, and I, I realized that there's this whole world of Bible publication, and right after I started doing that search, um, the world went into a global pandemic, and I had a whole bunch of extra time on my hands, and I was kind of obsessed with Bibles. And I started just translations and bindings, and I learned there's like this whole world of premium, nice Bibles. And so I ended up uh, buying one, and and I started like writing about them on my blog, and then I created some videos on YouTube, and it just kind of turned into this thing that it's called Bible Review Blog. And so my my goal is to help people find a Bible that's right for them. So I work with publishers and they send me Bibles or I buy Bibles and I, I do unboxing videos that are pretty fun. And I, and I do full reviews where I go through the specs on, you know, translation and font size and materials that they're made with and all the different features of different Bibles. And so I do, um, one or two videos a week. Um, and I've reviewed like over a hundred Bibles now in the last year and a half. And so lots of different translations and and different scopes, everything from like a $300 hype beast red Bible from a designer in New York city to like $10 Bibles that you can buy at Walmart. I've, I've reviewed everything. So that's kind of what I've been doing. The, those ESV Bibles that were always on the $5 table at family Christian that every youth pastor had like 400 of them to give to kids. Yep. Those are great. And then you'd like leave it in your car for half an hour and it would start the the the, <laughs> the leather or whatever you call that would yeah. start flaking off everywhere. Yep. Mm, that was yep. that was a great fancy Bible. Uh how many Bibles do you have in your house right now? Um I, I think my wife can hear me, so I'm I don't know if I should answer that. <laughs> I probably have uh eighty to a hundred Bibles in my house right now. Um and again, because because of the what I'm doing, I did not pay for all of those. And before I started this, I probably had like seven to ten Bibles in my house. But um, yeah, I've been doing some giveaways on my my YouTube channel and my Instagram feed and stuff like that. But yeah, I do have a a, a, a stupid amount. I, I call it my Bible library because it it's really a library full of Bibles. <laughs> so in our group chat, four of us had kind of known each other from the download youth ministry world. And then Mm -hmm. one of the guys, uh, was a worship pastor before becoming a lead pastor. And so he, he was not in the world that you and I met each other in and got to play in as youth pastors for a couple of years. And so he didn't know who you were. And so we sent him your info 
And we didn't hear back from him for a few minutes. And he was like, there's so much money I want to spend on rivals. <laughs> he just got sucked into the black hole of yeah. going through all your content. And uh, yeah, it's one of those things where you don't realize how nice, uh, how, you know, the, the difference between a really nice Bible and a cheap Bible yep. is like the difference between a really nice car and a cheap car. Yeah. It's, yeah. you don't notice it until you notice it. And Once then you, you can't take your eye. hands. I actually have show and tell back here. I've got a few like of my favorite, like nice Bibles that I've found over the last year. And it is kind of wild when you get like something that's a really nice piece of leather and the construction is really fantastic. It, it it's the word you hear the word floppy used a lot in the Bible world. And it's like, <laughs> Oh, this is a floppy Bible. I love it. <laughs> but yeah, it's, and it's really weird. I mean, and as, as people who are pastors know, there's like this whole subculture, you know, and there's these Facebook groups of like people who are fans of a certain translation or a certain Bible publisher. And it's like, and I'm, I'm like deep into all that stuff now. And I, I just, I love it. And it's totally geeky. I get it, but I love it. Well, the article that brought up this conversation was yeah. entitled Hard Copy Bibles Aren't Just Nostalgic. And then the first line is, as a seminary professor, I'm requiring the physical book in class. Churches should do the same. Wow. And whenever I, I read a should do, I'm like, eh, that's mm-hmm. a, nothing, nothing makes a visitor feel less than, than uh, requiring people in your church to do something like that. But what are, what are your thoughts when you read something like that? You know, it's funny because part of the reason why I wanted to get a, a nice new Bible was because particularly over the course of my seminary years, I I was using software to like, you know, parse Greek verbs and I was using BibleGateway.com to look stuff up just on the fly. And I had kind of gotten out of a rhythm of using my physical Bible all the time. And, and I was thinking to myself, man, I want to start using a Bible again. I really like holding it in my hand and kind of the text, the textile um part of using a Bible and reading a Bible. And so when I read that article, I thought it was really interesting. There was a couple of things that I thought he was going to say that he didn't say, which, which was, you know, just the fact that like, you know, you know, too many people are staring at their phones and distracted by their phones. And that's what I've noticed myself is like, if I'm doing my Bible study or reading the Bible on my phone, I'll get notifications from Instagram telling me something or from Facebook messenger or just my emails popping up and all these things that Apple has decided I need notifications about on my iPhone that I didn't ask for. It's like, it's kind of hard to to get into a rhythm when you're reading and studying your Bible, let alone at church, it can be so distracting. And so I do think just for that, that aspect alone, that's one of the reasons why I personally like reading and studying from a physical copy of the Bible. Um, but I also liked what he said in there about, I mean, that article, he talked about how when you're just reading something on a phone, you can kind of miss the the grander narrative of the entire Bible, that what you're reading comes between Genesis and Revelation, and mm-hmm. that so holding the book in your hand helps you kind of realize that there's something bigger going on here. I really thought that was an interesting perspective, um, particularly for students of the Bible and people listening to a sermon. I think that's, that's very interesting. Yeah, it lets you feel the connectivity between the passages before and after and yeah, it's a, it's a bigger, there's a bigger story. There's a bigger narrative than just that thing. And he, he didn't really talk much about digital Bibles. I mean, it was mm-hmm. in there some, but he was talking about the churches that, you know, if the more high church that in the, the, oh, what's the word I'm looking for? Liturgical? Oh, yeah. But the, not the, I don't think lectionary is not the word I'm looking for, but you know, that they would have the, whatever the reading for that week is printed off yeah, that's for people. Lectionary, yeah. Lectionary. There we go. See, I'm, I'm a recovering Baptist who's, you know, <laughs> trying to learn these, these high church words. Um, but you know, so the idea that even at high churches that, you know, they have it printed off in the lectionary and people are losing the context. And yep. even if they're not going to take the time to read everything in the book or in the epistle or, or wherever it might be, just the physical presence of that context gives extra weight and then authority to what it is that you're reading. Absolutely. It's really, I mean, I think that it's cool to just immerse yourself. I mean, and you know, just from my perspective as someone who's learning more about the publishing world, there are publishers who are creating Bibles where they don't even put verse numbers in them anymore because the Bible didn't have verse numbers when it was originally <laughs> written. And they're, they're like, Paul was never style. like point verse yeah. three, verse four. Yeah. Um, 
And so they, they take those out and it's, it, when you open it up, it looks more like a novel. It's just paragraphs of text. And the, the, the design there is for you to just sit down like, Hey, I'm going to read if I'm not going to read Ephesians two, eight and nine today. I'm going to read Ephesians today. I'm going to read the entire letter to the Ephesians. And it had, it's like, it, it's designed to help you do that. And I think like you said, I mean, it's just like, sometimes we, we just get so focused on a verse here and there that we do take it out of context. And I mean, for whether you're studying the Bible on your own or listening as, as pastors, to, you know, p- people who teach and preach the Bible, you, you might be focusing on a few verses, but you don't want people to lose sight of everything else that's going on around it. You know, and I think that's, mm-hmm. that's a cool way that I hadn't really thought about before until I read that article that having a physical copy of the Bible makes it really, really helpful to do that. So kind of, you know, going, going back to the seminary thing, when I was in seminary, um, you went to Fuller, I went to Dallas, mm-hmm. and when I was at Dallas, the faculty pretty much of Dallas had just put out the Net Bible, which yeah. was like the first, hey, we're only going we're gonna to go all in on a digital Bible, yep. and it was just so funny because it wasn't that long ago. I'm yeah. 38 years old, so I was probably 24, 25 when mm-hmm. the Net came out, and it was like, this is great. I have- And it was all a, online. Yeah, I have this PDF- of uh-huh. all this and it and it can never be taken away and I can have it with me wherever. And it was so weird to be in classes where they wanted you to use a translation that was not something that you could thumb through. Yeah. Um, and it was just, you know, again, it, it feels like it was just a couple of weeks ago and I guess it's been a decade, a decade and a half. But I just remember that some professors were like, this is a great translation effort. However, Mm-hmm. I need you to have a Bible in class with you yeah, because that helps you understand what you're actually doing. And ironically, I never used the net until I started reviewing Bibles. And now Thomas Nelson, a publisher here in Nashville, is printing copies of the net Bible. And I have like two or three like copies of it now that I love. And I never used it back when it was just <laughs> online, you know? When it was the the net Bible, when it was, exactly. you know. Yeah, they're actually kind of calling it now the NET, the New English Translation. They're 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 I don't know if they're backing away from the internet thing, but it's less of their focus for that translation well, than it used to be. There aren't any Sandra Bullock movies named NET. <laughs> I literally watched so. <laughs> the 1996 Sandy Bullock the Net during uh, COVID. That movie has not aged well because what not the internet was well back at in all. the 90s. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> uh. <laughs> No, it, it has not aged well. I think I watched that maybe six or eight months ago, and I yeah. got an hour into it. And I was like, this was like the coolest thing in high school, and it's not <laughs> yes. anymore. That's like exactly speed, right. speed is still great. Speed is so great. The net, not so much. Not so much. Not so much. So uh, going back to those ESV faux leather Bibles that we all had, mm-hmm right out of uh, undergrad before college is when I got one of those. And it was like the Bible that I thought made me look like a grown up when I was preaching. Like, you know, it was yeah. cool. It was, it was slimline. Yeah. And so I would tape my notes. I don't know if you're a sermon <laughs> manuscriptor or if you oh, yeah. are one oh, of those yeah. people. That's, the okay. So, so I would tape my manuscript always into, into, into my Bible, into Amos, because I'm like, <laughs> I am never going to read Amos in an ESV without study notes. Like if I'm going to study Amos, I'm going to go to my NIV study Bible or it's kind of in the middle. Exactly. It's in the middle. And so I would always tape my notes into Amos. And so still in my falling apart first ever ESV that I got, Amos is just like Swiss cheese looking because I, you know, I would tape all of my notes into it. So what is your go-to preaching Bible now? Ooh. And what's, and what's your, what's your setup? Well, I, I have, I really have, I think about my context when I'm preaching and if Mm -hmm. I'm going to be teaching because there are, if I was the pastor of a church, I work at Belmont university right now, I'm working with college students, but if I was the pastor of my own church, I was leading a church. I think you really have to figure out what translation you want to teach from. It's translation that you need to think about. And then one of the factors there is what are your people going to bring to church with them. There are certain publishers of, of that are like the primary publishers of certain translations that they just don't have a lot to offer. I am convinced that one of the reasons why the ESV, the English Standard Version, is as popular as it is today 
is simply because Crossway, the publisher out of Illinois, has just published a zillion different types of Bibles. They have a Bible every shape and size that you can think of, a journaling Bible, devotional Bibles. The ESV Study Bible is sold like well over a million copies, and they've just created so many different Bibles that a lot of people can find something they like. And so, yeah, I think that the translation is something that a lot of you know American pastors really like, but I also think that it's easy for you to be a pastor who wants to use the ESV when a lot of people in your church already have it. In fact, I met with a pastor here in Nashville a couple weeks ago who said he was teaching out of the NIV because the NIV was like the only thing he really had that was kind of modern. He was coming up in the 80s and 90s, and then about 15 years ago, he went to a local Christian bookstore and said, what's the most popular translation? And they said, it's ESV. And so he just switched to ESV because of that. So um, I have a couple of ESV Bibles that I tend to to go to as my preaching Bibles when I think I'm going to be in a setting where that's popular. But um, I've also discovered the actual quote unquote preaching Bible, which is pretty cool. Several different publishers make Bibles where it's designed with the pastor and the preacher in mind so that it's like it doesn't have a bunch of extra cross-references and notes and things like that because pastors usually have commentary sets and things like that or software that they're using to study. So it's like the basics. It's got a large font. A lot of them are verse by verse, so you can find your way to the verse when you're preaching, things like that. I found a couple in, in, in the past year and a half of reviewing Bibles, and I'm like, oh, wow, Like next time I get called on to preach, I'm going to use that Bible because I think it would be really great. It's like got a nice 10.5-point font, verse by verse. It's got space for me to write some notes in the margins. Um, so there's some cool Bibles that do that. So I always tell people, if you're going to be preaching regularly, look for Bibles that are called preaching Bibles because they're usually designed for that. So I go up every Sunday with my iPad that has my manuscript on it, and mm-hmm. you, do you remember the the CSV that they sent out to every, anybody and everybody that wanted it a couple years yeah. ago? Was uh-huh. it, hey, if you're a pastor or a church leader and you want this new translation that we're working on, let yep. us know and we'll send it to you. My iPad cover matches it per- perfectly. It's about, <laughs> this color of, it's about this color of leather. Yeah. And so in my iPad, my notes are in NIV because that's what the, most people in my congregation use. However, mm-hmm. I I make the scene of going up with the with hard copy Bible. Bible and turn to it and, you know, make sure that the microphone picks up the ruffling the pages, <laughs> even, th- even though I know I'm going to be reading from a different translation in my notes, which is sure. so funny because, you know, I, I read an article like this and I think, you know, yes, I, I want people to bring their physical Bibles and I get so excited mm-hmm. when I see somebody turning, but seven, eight years ago, I was making a concerted effort, especially as a youth pastor. But then when I was the youth pastor that got to preach in big church, yeah. I was always the one saying, you know, hey, turn in your Bible or if you're using an app. And I was like, thought I was so clever because I was yeah. giving the nod to all the people that weren't using the physical yeah. paper Bible. I was acknowledging that, hey, I see you sure. and what you're doing is okay too. And now I'm doing the exact opposite where I'm reading my manuscript <laughs> from an iPad but I'm making sure people see my actual physical Bible there with me. I think that's just in general. I don't, I think it's not just the the church world and, and having to do with the Bible. I think there's just general digital cell phone fatigue in the world. You know, like I, I work on a college campus and I see students, you know, way less on their phones than I think I was when I was even their age and the phone wasn't even that big of a deal. And I'm also not, I'm not against Bible apps and software on your phones. I mean, I think it feels like everybody in the world has the version Bible app, but I found a couple of other ones that are like, there's one called Dwell, which is an audio Bible app. And I can put that in and they've got like a bunch of different translations and a bunch of different voices. And like, it's like very beautifully designed. It feels like Spotify for the Bible. It's really great. Or um, Tyndale, who is the publisher of the New Living Translation, they have a whole series of Bibles called the Filament Bibles, and you buy the you have to have the physical Bible in order to activate the app. But if you are reading out of a filament Bible and you scan the page of the, the page number of the Bible, it'll open the app and it has the study notes and the maps and the devotional content. That's cool. So so you can have a smaller Bible without all that stuff, but then you get the additional extra. They even have like videos from the Bible project. So whatever you scan, if they have a video for it, it'll be in That's there. That's really cool. All that on your phone, but you still have the basic like thin line Bible. I like that a lot. That's really Those cool. Are so the filament one, Bibles. One of the apps that I use, which is not a beautiful, well-designed app, 
did you ever work with Blue Letter Bible? Yeah, yeah, oh yeah. Yeah, I, I so haven't worked like, with them, but I've I've played around with uh, their yeah, their, yeah, but you've played around with it. Yeah. it. yeah. But it is Great I app. mean, it looks it's like they, they did their web design in like nineteen ninety eight and they're like, This is good, and they have not touched it <laughs> since. And their app looks exactly like it. Yeah. But but in seminary it was like my go to Greek tool access. Yeah. And so just because I, I know how they're gonna have you know their their strongs and all their stuff. And so yep. just because that was like how I studied was using their stuff, you know, fifteen years ago or so. So now it's just my go-to. So I yeah. pull up my phone and it's like, yeah, you know, I could use like a, a good modern software that have, they've spent millions of dollars developing, or I can use <laughs> the one that looks like it's from 1998 and has never been touched, but I know it. And it's yeah. great. I love it. It's, it's mostly King James still. And, sure. uh, you know, yeah. I, it, it, it gets me. That's right. It gets you. It gets me, and that's what matters sometimes. And isn't that the joy of the day and age that we live in with so many different translations and and yep. versions of that translation? You get to choose the one that really gets you, and I choose a very antiquated one that I know how to use. <laughs> that's the way it works. That's the best thing about it. I love it. Yeah, I get, I get probably um, the most common questions I've gotten in the last year and a half is all about Bible translations and like people want to fight about which one's better and which one's right. Mostly I get a lot of, of comments from the King James only folks who, who for some reason are the least gracious people on the internet. And then Listen, also I, I grew up as an indie fundy. So, <laughs> Oh, there you go. You I, know. I'm, I'm yeah. familiar. I also get at least one or two comments a week about my tattoos and they're not usually kind and inquisitive. They're mostly telling me that like one guy just told me that my tattoos were conjuring demons on my YouTube channel. And I thought that was special. <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, people, <laughs> I said all that to say people ask a lot about translations and it's like, some of them are, I think better than others, but most of the ones we have, I mean, it's like we have a lot of great options in the English language for the Bible and it's, it's, I actually use two or three, you know, have you ever seen like the translation spectrum where it's like more yeah. literal on one end and, and mm -hmm. more thought for thought on the other end? So what I've done in the past like year and a half is I study with like ESV or NASB, which are more literal. I go like NIV or, or CSB, which are a little bit more in the middle. And then I always have like the NLT over here, which is, you know, kind of more thought for thought. And I just read the same passage in like three different translations. And that helps me kind of wrap my mind around it. I, that's been a good study practice for me for sure. My, so going back to the KJV only, and uh -huh. if you're listening to this podcast for actual deep spiritual content, this isn't it. So when I was, <laughs> when I first moved to Texas, I was renting a room in this dude's house. Cause like my wife was still in Florida. She was a teacher finishing off the school year. And, um, he like wanted a roommate he could trust for, you know, to make a couple extra hundred bucks a month. So he put a listing up at the seminary, you know, housing page and that's uh -huh. how he got me. But he had grown up in a Mennonite culture that had like this specific branch had moved from like Pennsylvania, New York to Nebraska in like the 1960s. Wow. And their thing was that they wanted to make an impact in the world. And so they were doing English only, which was a very big deal for them. So they were mm -hmm. English only, but they were KJV only people as well. Uh -huh. And so um, he was never allowed to go swimming with girls because of the divers temptations that they would be because <laughs> <laughs> first generation English speakers, not getting the difference between diverse wow. and divers since it's spelled the same wow. and oh, translations, translation matters. Because sometimes Man. you're gonna think you're not gonna know the difference between a diver's temptation and a diverse temptation. So I'll tell uh, you what, man, I've been I've been to youth summer camp in the last five years where we were told that boys and girls could not be at the pool at the same time. So well, maybe that, they're that those stuff on. <laughs> All right, I have a hundred bucks to spend. Ooh. What, what Bible do I want? Give me, give me your price point. Give me, give me your, you know, your Christmas present for a nephew, like 20, 25 bucks. Give me, you know, entry level. It's like we, when you talk yes. about the unboxing videos that you do, I, I always think of when somebody is buying new tech gear and the blogs are always like, well, here's the entry level. Here's the midway. And here's the, if you can afford it, here's what you want. So give yeah. me your, you know, best under 50, okay. 50 to a hundred bucks. And then your splurge Bible. Got it. So. 
under 50, the one that I mentioned from um, for young people in particularly, it's the New Living Translation. It's published by Tyndale, and it's called the Filament Series. And they have a bunch of different shapes and sizes. You can get a you know a, a personal size, you can get a thin line, you can get a single column, and all of those come with access to that app. And most of those Bibles are like 15 to $30. They're really, really? great. Yeah, Tyndale filament Bibles, because they're not like super fancy bindings and stuff like that, but they look really great and they're good for young people particularly because they click into that app and they get all this extra Bible study material, which I think is is really helpful. Um, if you're going to go, if you want to get something nice that's still fairly affordable, um, so there's two publishers here in Nashville that are kind of like sister companies. They're, they're Thomas Nelson. Thomas Nelson does the the NET Bible that you're talking about, the Net Bible. They do the NKJV, New King James, and they do King James. And then Zondervan um, is NIV, NASB, and NRSV. And Zondervan and Thomas Nelson both do this premier collection. It's called the premier collection. And they have Bibles in all of those translations that I just mentioned. And they're very nice. They're goatskin covers. They have really beautiful. If you go to Bible review blog and I have a, a find a Bible tab and you can click on Zondervan or Thomas Nelson and I've reviewed a bunch of them. And those are usually like you can get them on their website or on Amazon or christianbook.com for anywhere from like 85 to a little over a hundred bucks. And it's a, it's a very nice Bible for that money. And then if you're going to splurge, I have a couple different brands. One is this is called Allen. Allen is a company from England. They're a very, very small company. This Bible looks like something from a hundred years ago because they still, they bind Bibles in like old world styles. They have like this red and gold art gilding on the pages that's sewn bindings. It's like this crazy, beautiful, floppy, it's very floppy Bibles. (laughs) Um, They make like, this is one of those ESV readers that I told you about earlier, but this is going to cost like, 150 to 200 dollars um and then there's one more let's see if i can get this bible the like nicest probably nicest bibles in the world right now are this company called skylar bibles they're out of virginia they print bibles in like eight or nine different translations they they come up with their own designs on the inside of the bibles so like this is like a red goatskin bible that is like absolutely gorgeous these are going to be more in like the 200 dollars range but they use they are printed and bound in the netherlands they use french paper it's like next level like <laughs> super premium like you know put this on your wish list and get somebody to buy it for you for christmas but they're called skylar bibles and so i've reviewed a bunch of different bibles from all these different companies for bible review blog and you can go check that out and find them but yeah i would say cheap middle and then over the top premium that's kind of where I'd, I'd tell people to check it out. All right. I've had this idea for a Bible since, you know, probably 2006, about the time I started taping things into my ESV Bible. Uh-huh. Do you think there's any market for a preacher's Bible that has, do you remember like when you had the three ring binder with the uh-huh. clear little insert page back in, yeah. in high school and stuff? Could we get a Bible printed? where we could insert our own notes into the middle of the Bible. Is there a market for that? Or am I crazy for thinking that that would be I cool? have seen a couple of different publishers do. What? See, I thought that was my like, idea. They, they've done like, you can get the Bible in a three ring binder format. And there's been a couple of like, I'm going to go super geeky now. There's all these people who call themselves Bible rebinders. And so they'll take a Bible that one of like those old ones that's falling apart and they'll put a beautiful cover on it and they'll make it like, I've got some really crazy stuff. that's incredible. But one guy did like a custom binding of a three wing binder and had one of those Bibles in it. So it was like this quality of like these Skylar Bibles on the outside. And then it was just three wing binder <laughs> sheets on the inside. I just think, you know, I jokingly talk about sermon manuscripts, but I hate pulling out my iPad when I'm doing a wedding and mm-hmm. I think it'd be super cool to have a few, you know, you could slide your own pages Absolutely. here in the middle of this for a wedding because I, you know, ha- I have, by the way, I have like a little, a little like hand sized three wing binder that I bought like on Amazon that has those clear plastic sheets. And I just print sheets and put them in there when I'm doing weddings and stuff like that. It's like little brown leather thing. Mm-hmm. So they make stuff like that, but to have a whole Bible like that would be I've been to a wedding where the where the pastor's like, put the rings on my Bible. And I was a groomsman. I was like, that's not a Bible. It's not a Bible. 
Yeah, yeah my um, you, you bought that at Costco. It's not a Bible. <laughs> my new uh, like fantasy is, which is I'm saying this now on this podcast. My fantasy is for one of these Bible publishers to come to me and be like, "We're gonna make the Tim Wilds. It's not the John MacArthur Bible. It's not the whatever. It's we're gonna make the Tim Wilds. We want you to design a Bible for We've us. We've got and Johnny yeah. Mac, Charles Ryrie, and Tim Wildsmith." <laughs> Some tattooed youth pastor from Tennessee. He made a Bible, guys. Come on. <laughs> you know, you say that, but you're Oxford trained. How many of us get to say that we went and studied at Oxford? You That's went right. to the I Cambridge am. Press. Come on. I did. I've, I've, had a, I've had a fun. I, I took advantage of the global pandemic and, and went and tried to do some fun stuff. <laughs> you did some awesome things. Hey, uh, let the people know where they can find you. Yeah, you can find me. Um, Facebook and Instagram search for at Bible review blog. That's my, my feed there. And you can also just visit Bible review blog.com to, I, I do written reviews of Bibles, but then I'm really focusing a lot of stuff on YouTube right now. So if you search for Bible review blog or my name, Tim Wildsmith on YouTube, you'll be able to find my YouTube channel where I do unboxing videos. Bible reviews is kind of my bread and butter. But then I also do stuff like I'm getting ready to do a, a video called the best Bibles for teenagers, and I do things like that, this kind of like Bible-related content for the most part. So, yeah, that's where I'm at. I love it. Tim, thank you so much. Andrew, thanks, man. Hey, that was such a good interview. We had such a good show. And I just want to remind you all that if you had a good time, you're going to have an even better time at the Practically Pastoring Conference. Make sure you sign up. Go to practicallypastoringconference.com. All the info. Get your ticket before October 1st, before the price goes up. Get your ticket. It's going to be a great time down in Tarpon Springs, Florida. Hey, if you haven't done so, join our Facebook group, Practically Pastoring. It's a good time there. Follow us on Instagram. Get rated and review the podcast. All the good stuff. And we're going to see you next week. With that being said, I'm Frank Gill. I'm Jeff Simpson. I'm Delmar Pete. I'm Andrew Larson. And I'm Timothy Miller. And this is the Practically Pastoring Podcast. See you next time. Bye. Thanks for listening. Get connected to other pastors by joining the Practically Pastoring Facebook group, where we get to share ideas and make each other better.